Our Father, this is wonderful what you do. You give us a story to live by. The true story of your love from before ages past to all eternity to come. And you've written the lives of the stories of our lives into that story. We praise you, our God, and we will praise you for all eternity, our loving, holy Father. Amen. I'll just give you a moment to say good day to each other around. Well, if you've got a Bible there, uh, perhaps you could look up Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So grab your Bible and find Ecclesiastes. No shame in using the contents page of your Bible to find Ecclesiastes. And your phone will tell you where it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Someone you love is getting older and you're starting to notice. Someone you love is getting older. I'm going to show you a video on the screen, a very clever compilation that's been a stitching together of photographic information overlaid onto a video. You're going to see a young girl aging. She'll she'll begin her life uh, probably right out at the sort of kindergarten age, preschool age. And over the next few minutes, through some clever technology, we'll get to see her face age. I'd like us to think this morning about the aging process. You don't have to search hard on the internet to discover what aging is all about physiologically. The blood vessels lose their elasticity. They stiffen. That tends to increase blood pressure. The heart has to work harder. The heart will tend to slow down and perhaps even enlarge as the body gets older. Bones lose their density. They become more brittle, fragile, and prone to fracture. Muscle tone diminishes. In fact, muscle bulk starts replaced by fatty bulk. That requires less calories to get through the day, and appetite will diminish. The joints will be less flexible. There will be a loss of muscle strength, less coordination, a diminished sense of balance. There will come digestion issues in later stages of life. Constipation is not an uncommon experience, uh, sometimes due to uh, dietary issues or else as a side effect from medications. Uh, Loss of bladder control is not uncommon. Mentally, an older person will begin to lose the capacity to remember and will find it harder to form coherent memories harder to recall facts from the past. The eyes are less able to focus up close, become more sensitive to brightness. And there's a high occurrence of cataracts. That's where the lens actually clouds over due to oxidization. 
Hearing loss is not uncommon, especially the higher tones. Sometimes you'll hear an older person lisping high sounds because they can't actually hear it themselves, and so those sounds sneak into the voice without them realizing it. In the mouth, there'll be a receding of the gums that leaves the teeth vulnerable to uh, invasion. And uh, sometimes the mouth is drier, often due to medications that the person might be on. Vulnerable to infection in the mouth. The skin loses fatty tissue. You're familiar with that effect. It becomes thinner and more fragile, more liable to tear, less ready to heal itself. A loss of natural oils in the skin leads to wrinkles. And then, of course, there are skin tags and spots that tend to develop in the later years. Hair typically thins out and whitens, and that's a very obvious sign that we often see in the street, don't we? Recognizing an older person. Now, I've just given you a bunch of medical descriptions, not hard to come by. You'll see that our little girl has, in the matter of a couple of minutes, become somewhat aged. The video is going to stop in a minute and leave her at a fairly dignified state of age. Um, And it will be respectful. The reality is, though, a little girl growing up in the world, life is going to be fraught, isn't it? Pain and trouble is going to come just about any stage is a vulnerable stage. I've described to you some physiological effects of aging. I haven't even mentioned disease, accident, misadventure. What we're doing this morning is we're contemplating our mortality. Mortality is something we're not good at talking about. How often in your day or your week do you have anything to do with someone who's really, really old? Now we're pretty good at shutting age away behind closed doors. And yet, this is the path we're on. One reason I wanted to show you that video is because of the sheer continuity. It's the very same you that will one day be old and shriveled. It's the very same you that was once held as a fresh little baby in the arms of your mother. It is the path that we are on. I'd love to read to us now from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's a meditation, not on death, but on mortality. What it means to live as a creature that dies. Do you get that? That's what mortality means. Living your life as a creature that dies. It's different to an obsession with death. It means your life is hemmed in, overshadowed by death. So you're ready to read from Ecclesiastes 12. Listen to this meditation. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. This is a person in old age who's suddenly caught out, thinking, I'm not sure that I'm happy where I'm at. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Now I want you to listen for a couple of interesting 
images that you could take as little allusions to an aged body. Listen to this. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, those looking through windows grow dim. Can you feel it? When the doors to the street are closed, the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. There's something here that wants to dance, right? If only I could dance. And when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms, is a beautiful picture of springtime, isn't it? And virility and life. But the grasshopper dreams drags itself along and there's no desire. Then the people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. That's a profound picture, isn't it? Of the path that you and I are on. And it's a sobering description that you and I need to hear. The scriptures say, don't they? Thou shalt become old and it shall happen sooner than you think. I want you to think back 15 years ago, so roughly 2003. If you need a reference point, 9-11 was 2001. So what were you doing in the years soon after that, 2003? Where were you up to in your life? What was going on for you 15 years ago? Have a think about that. Okay, now I want you to do this shocking thing. I want you to think forward 15 years. Think, how old will I be in 15 years' time? For myself, I'm 45 this year, so I will be at the end of my 50s looking at 60s. My eldest daughter will be 30 years old. My youngest, 25 finished uni, out working in the world. 15 years. Doesn't take long, does it? Because I think back to 9-11, and I think that wasn't that long ago. Sydney Olympics, just before that, that wasn't that long ago, was it? 2003, that used to be yesterday. (laughs) Wow. It's going to happen quickly. Not only are you aging, but someone you love is aging and perhaps you've noticed. Perhaps you've also noticed how hard it is to think straight about age. I'm indebted in this next little part to my ethics lecturer, Andrew Cameron, at Moore College. Uh, his little book, Living in the Next Phase, is a beautiful description of the ministry challenges that come with uh, reaching out to people who are in the latest stages of life. And here's a wonderful way of describing all of the roadblocks that are there in our culture, which makes it really hard for us to think straight as Christians about aging. If I go to my Christian bookstore, I will find shelves and shelves of books about children and children's ministry, parenting helps, children's stories, Endless, endless shelves of materials around childhood. When I go looking in the same bookstore for anything at all on the senior years, 
anything about seniors ministry, anything about the experience of aging. I found literally one foot of books at our biggest bookshop in the nation. Literally 20 books maximum. That's how little we think about it. And yet we are part of an aging population. You're going to see your church include more and more people in their senior years by the time some of you younger ones are in your senior years. Australia will be top-heavy with folk who are in the second half of their life. So here's why we have trouble thinking about this. The first reason, I think it's pretty obvious, we're in a culture that just glorifies youthfulness. I, I grew up in that era as a teenager where the TV series Friends was on TV. Remember that? How many seasons did it do? Like, so many. Or Seinfeld, remember that one? How many series did that one do? And something you notice about these sorts of sitcoms is that they have no intergenerationality. It's the thinnest little age wedge. The Friends series, 20-somethings just having a great time. And if we bring an old person into the story, it's for some kind of joke. An unwanted parent, a meddling character. No sign of children. Interesting, isn't it? Glorifying that particular time of youthfulness where I'm young and I've got capacity. And the marketers know this and they will market their products to the young adult. TV ads almost always featuring the young adult. That's right. So our popular culture examines life through this lens of youth with an assumption that younger is better. Don't you want to hold back the signs of aging? Don't you want to find that way to look younger? And some of us even feel the urge to dress a generation younger than we really are. We find it hard to admit that we're getting old. More and more in churches, we're finding people who are seniors who don't want anything to do with any seniors group. Thank you very much. Here's the second one. We relate in cohorts. We've learned as a culture to identify ourselves as, well, I'm Gen X, or I'm a baby boomer, or I'm a whatever they are after that. Night congregation, we're almost all young adults. No one ever told the young adults to turn up at 5.30. There's just this natural gravity, isn't there, to want to relate in cohorts. It's not a bad thing. But it is a gravity, isn't it? And we tend to segregate ourselves into these cohorts and like to identify with people who are in the same life stage as me. Not a bad thing, but not an entirely good thing, is it? And as we become more and more comfortable in our cohorts, we become less and less comfortable relating with people who are at a very different life stage. And the effect of this is we just don't imagine ourselves in those life stages. I don't imagine myself as old and walking with a frame because I don't hang out with people who are old and working with a frame and I've got no idea what it's like to be them. They're not my friends and they're not my self-identity. And so as we avoid aged people, we end up with no meaningful vision for ourselves as an aged person one day. Does that make sense? Here's the next one. Self-worth in productivity. 
I don't have to tell you how the world is teaching us to value ourselves by what we can accomplish and do. And frankly, it's just not obvious to us what value I will bring to the world as an old person. We have no aspiration to be old. If anything, gee, I wish I could be young again. And here's the fourth one. Underneath all of this is a conceit, I think, that Andrew Cameron rightly identifies, a conceit of self-reliance. It horrifies us to think that I'm going to end up at the end of my life so dependent and so unable. Haven't I grown up out of that? Look at my bank balance. Look at my university degrees. Look at how I walk through the world swiping my credit card, swiping my phone. Look at my power. And where does that all go in my old age? It's a conceit, isn't it? Because actually, you're going to spend a lot of your middle age caring for your parents just like that. You will care for your parents as they get older and older. But when it comes to your turn, my turn, will I have the humility to accept that care? Hmm. It's a conceit because it is about pride in the end. What would it be like to walk with a contraption? What will it be like to have devices literally hooked into my body so that I can hear properly, see properly, digest properly? What will it be like to spend a significant number of my days in the year just seeing specialists to keep this old body going and to feel like I've been pushed to the side maybe cut off from loved ones, seen a generation pass on. That's not an aspiration, is it? In the television culture of our world, the advertising culture of our world, the glossy magazine culture of our world. No, and we're left with no vision of ourselves in that time of life. I think, too, we're glorifying youth, we're relating in cohorts, we have this self-worth in productivity, a conceit of self-reliance, and at the end of the day, I think we are afraid of the poverty that comes, the literal poverty that comes when you see your assets lost, possessions dwindled down, go from big house to smaller house to eventually one room, maybe one shelf behind, beside the bed, acquisitions passed on, a role I once had, the influence I once had, the people who used to listen to me, they don't listen anymore. They're telling us that the baby boomers, like no generation before, are talking more and more about euthanasia. Like no generation before, here are the baby boomers struggling to cope with that kind of poverty, that kind of loss of power, loss of dignity, it seems. And you've seen it in the news, haven't you? Euthanasia, expect it more and more, ladies and gentlemen. Talk of ending one's life at such a stage because it is just not attractive to me. The Bible says at the end of the day, underneath all of these reasons that cloud our vision and make it hard for us to think straight, is a fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2 
says we have in our human culture this inability to come to terms with our mortality. We are scared of dying. Spiritually, we don't want to think about it. And we'll distract ourselves with a thousand things so that we don't have to think that far off. And we put our hope in medical advances and technologies to keep death at bay. And the result of all of this, I think, is that we are part of a culture now that has almost nothing positive to say about aging. You'll hear the jokes about growing old. You'll hear the jokes about midlife or the grey nomads cruising the country. But you won't hear anything positive said or any clear vision held out to you or I of any kind of dignified old age. Interesting because what we see in the scripture is the opposite. The scriptures say that our mortality is something that we should meditate on and contemplate. And that learning about our mortality is actually a key part of rightly fearing and revering God. You understand that? I'm going to say that again. To contemplate your mortality is integral to rightly fearing your God. A great place to go for this is Psalm 90. Feel free to flick it open, but I'm going to put some little extracts on the screen. Psalm 90 is a contemplation of mortality from none other than, who is it? Do you know who wrote it? It's Big Moses. If there was ever a guy who lived a life, right? And at the end of his long-lived life, full of wonderful moments of grandeur, but also some devastating complications, right? Moses reflects on his own mortality. And there was this huge challenge that came up right at the end of his life where he himself had his character pinned by God and his conceit called out. You remember that? And he was not allowed to enter the promised land. After everything he'd hoped for, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. And I think that experience is behind Psalm 90, this reflection on our mortality. And it begins this, with this idea of true reality. I'm having a lot of fun with this PowerPoint. Look at this. Kicks in in verse 3. Listen to this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. See, here are our little lives. I showed you a picture before of a little girl turning into an old woman. And here you are living in just such a package. You were once that little child in your mother's arm, and one day you'll be laid to rest in the ground. But God's vision was before even the mountains were born. Do you see the vastness of his landscape? And his dwelling place is all history and all eternity and all of the heavens. And Moses is realizing that's where my home truly is. Not embedded in some temporary experience in this little tent of a body, right? But in the dwelling place of God himself, eternity before mountains were born. God stands outside our limited cycles. He's the eternal living one. We are mortal. He is immortal. 
And so listen to how Moses meditates on this. He says, God, it's you, isn't it? It's a sober reckoning. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. He said earlier in back in chapter in verse 3 he said, "Lord, you turn people back to dust. Return to dust, you mortals," is what God says. And Moses says, "A thousand years, God, in your sight, it's like a day." Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like new grass in the morning. New grass that springs up new, but by evening it's withered. That's literally what we are, just dust, right? Enlivened for a time, convincing ourselves that we are something far greater than what we are. Did you walk on the grass this morning? Did you care that it would be there tomorrow? Wow. Thankfully, our God does care about these little blades of grass that we are. He cares about us so much. But we delude ourselves if we think we are anything more than dust that is enlivened by him. And the minute he decides it won't be, to dust we return. We are utterly, utterly in his hand. There's a favorite verse in Ecclesiastes of mine. It says, hey, do you know what? If you've got a choice, this is my paraphrase, you get an invite to a party, Woo, that sounds like fun, or you get an invite to a funeral, Ecclesiastes says, choose the funeral. Because you're going to learn something. This is it, isn't it? We are dust. And the second reason on the screen demands sober reckoning. The ultimate reason we experience this aging and death is because of God. All our days pass away under your wrath, God. That's his righteous anger at sin. And we finish our years with a moan. Can you hear it? There are seven billion people on the planet. Seven billion moans as each one goes to their death. It's the moan of the curse of sin. Can you hear the sound of it echoing through thousands of generations of humanity on this earth? No one escapes death. No matter how, how, how we try to dignify it, no matter how we try and reassure ourselves that, oh, of course, he had a good innings, or, you know, it was time for her to go, there is something horrible about death. There is something tragic about the way it just cuts off relationship. It's an incursion into what humanity was meant to be. Have you seen death break in horribly in your congregation? A couple of years back, a woman in her 30s, a dear, dear sister, 30 years, uh, mid-30s, her dentist noticed a dark mark on her gum. You better check, get that checked out, Betty. And for, for, for poor Betty, it turned out to be a melanoma. Nothing to do with the sun, nothing to do with sunscreen, just a random melanoma on the gum, uh, particularly aggressive. And 12 months later, we were mourning her death. There is nothing nice about death. It's a terrible, terrible incursion. And in the end of the day, the Bible says the death of every person is a siren call. We're meant to hear that moment and think nothing's right here on this planet. There is something profoundly wrong. That's what death is. 
exhibit A that says this world is under a shadow. And every little death is a forecast of the great death that is to come. A death of judgment. A great and terrible day where humanity is disconnected with God once and for all. Apart from his grace and his kindness, that is the shadow that we're under. And our aging faces in the mirror in the morning are meant to remind us the world is under curse. This is the wisdom you start gaining as you start thinking about your mortality. Do you see what this is doing? Do you see how this humbles us? Do you see how this makes us want to reach out to something bigger than myself rather than the thing that I'm it? Yeah. I want to encourage you, no more jokes about old age. Let's start being those who seriously contemplate our mortality. And what does it mean to be on this path that we're on? I think in the end, it's a sober reality that demands reflection. And verse 12 of Psalm 90 has that beautiful line that you will have heard around. It's a cry. It's a prayer, isn't it? God, will you teach us? You, God, who stand outside the ages, who was there when the mountains were born, I think you should be the one teaching us to number our days, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Numbering your days, this is not about planning out the calendar, you know, work for three months, Europe for two months, maybe change jobs up here. Maybe it's not, not like that. Numbering your days is literally numbering. Is that it? Recognizing the limit. Is that all I've got? You see, we're living in this culture that's just drunk on its own sense of self-importance and pushing away and in contemplation of death. We live in the now, and the now seems to loom so large, and whatever's in front of me right now, whatever latest acquisition, whatever upgrade, whatever new purchase, whatever new opportunity, whatever new relationship, it looms so large, and it feels like it's all there is. But when I number my days, I realize, hmm, There's something much bigger at play. And it's part of your Christian discipleship to be someone who spends healthy moments contemplating your mortality and letting that teach you a wisdom that only God can give. Have you ever lain long hours in a hospital bed? Has that happened to you? You'd love to be doing other things. You'd love to be connecting with certain people, but you're stuck in this bed. Have you ever been laying up sick at home, just unable to work and function properly and feeling so crook? You're wondering if this is actually going to be something you ever get out of or if you're ever going to be able to go on. Have you ever been so struck down by some affliction that you know after this my life is not going to be the same again? Has God given you those experiences? Perhaps in his mercy. If it was a lesson in mortality and humble dependence on him, then it was a very kind gift. There's a similar message in Psalm 39. Listen to this. Show me, Lord, my life's end. Have you ever prayed that? Show me the tombstone, God. Show me a world where I'm gone, God. Have you ever prayed that? Oh, 
This is culture-shattering wisdom, isn't it? Show me, Lord, my life's end, where it's not all about me. And the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is, right? Let me know, because it's not something I automatically know or like to think about. So this is what God must do for us, yeah? Teach us our mortality. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Everyone is but a breath, (laughs) even those who seem so secure. Number your days. There's lots of places we could go in Scripture to meditate on this idea of the fleetingness of our lives. You'll probably remember those texts, how quickly strength fades away, life as a vapor under God. But I want to come back to Ecclesiastes 12, because that's where we began this morning. For there in Ecclesiastes 12, it says, Now is the time to prepare to be old. Now is the time to prepare to be old. To be old. Don't let age sneak up on you and leave you bitter and bewildered because you had not rightly reckoned the number of your days. And Ecclesiastes 12 says, Remember your Creator now, even in the time of your youth, before those days of troubles come when you say, I find no pleasure in them. Do you see the potential? There is, to arrive in my later years, bitter. Where I look at myself and think, what's the point of this life? That's the cry of someone who's lost their way, isn't it? Let it not be that way for us. So we need to learn the lesson now, even in our youth, that we're creatures of a creator God. We're mortal beings bound by death. And so let's be those who've learned that wisdom. That aging is actually a path that Jesus is leading you down. For most of us, he will lead us all the way to old age. And this is part of your discipleship. And as you head towards your day of death, you hope in Jesus. And you hope all the more in him because it's his death and resurrection that make all the difference, don't they? Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Since death came through a man, that's Adam, and we are all in the likeness of Adam. We are groaners and we groan all the way to death, that moan of death. But through Jesus, something completely different comes, right? The resurrection of the dead through that man, Jesus. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all. All will be made alive. Give me an old person in my life who loves Jesus. And let them show me how to walk through all the stages of my life with joy and purpose. There are some wonderful, godly, senior people in my church who I want to be like when I'm at their stage of life. Phyllis Atkinson. Nola Murray. These are wonderful, God-hearted people, and in all their frailty, their hope in Jesus is stronger than ever. Because these bodies are going to waste away, and yet we in Jesus become more and more alive. I hope you can see such beautiful folk in your church who are maybe 20 years ahead of you, 30 years, 40 years, and I hope that you see in them a vision of yourself. 
when it's your turn to be at that stage of life. There they are right now for you. They are there right now for you. Set an example. You and I need to realize today, for most of us, this aging process is going to be a big part of the way Jesus is actually going to shape our hearts and train us in godliness. Did you know that? It's Jesus who will lead you down the path of aging for your own benefit. And so I want you to hear this beautiful text that I found in Isaiah 46. You know the Old Testament has lots of lovely images for the way God cared for Israel. Remember? His chosen people who he took out of Egypt, carried through the desert of the promised land. The favorite, favorite image in the Old Testament is that God is a father to them and they are his child. Remember that? And he leads them or carries them as a parent carries their child. But I found this beautiful text in Isaiah 46 that speaks of Israel in the later stages, in their old age as a nation. And where God says to them, hey, even in your old age and gray hairs, dear Israel, I am he who will sustain you. I made you, I will carry you. There's a wonderful way that in our senior years, we are each going to be taken back to a more stripped-back status. We came into the world with nothing. We will leave the world with nothing. And in our senior years, we will experience a stripping away of so many things that we relied on, found our strength in, found our identity and sense of purpose in, and Jesus will strip them away. And God will give you decades to learn. Perhaps the hardest lesson you'll ever learn. That you and I are but creatures utterly dependent on him. What are we in the end? Except that he makes us. So, if you are made to watch as the things you'd like to rely on are taken away from you one by one, And as one day someone literally lifts you from a chair to a bed, from a bed to a chair, let it be so that you know that it's your God who has always carried you. And in a world that's more and more confused and bewildered in the face of aging and you're going to hear the talk louder and louder about the horror of assisted suicide and euthanasia, God's people are going to travel down that path so differently with a great sense of dignity and purpose, knowing that it's in these old years and because of these years that my faith is being made all the more strong and sharp and it's Jesus who is still teaching me and discipling me in those years that it's he who carries me. Proverbs chapter 16 says this to a church community like ours, grey hair is a crown of splendour, everybody. It's obtained through the way of righteousness. You see, that's the dignity of old age. The old one literally is a trophy of God's faithfulness, a living representation of God's faithfulness and what it is to walk down the path of righteousness. It's a privilege to be that one. One day I will be that one for people younger than me. I will represent God's faithfulness, how he kept me going and how his arms never failed. We need you, old ones, 
to be that for us because we are right behind you. And we want to persevere the same way you have. There's great dignity in aging well. Leviticus 19 made it a law for Israel. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly. Revere your God. I am the Lord. You see how these two ideas go together. You show respect for those who've proven God through the hard yards of their long lives. And you are showing great reverence for the God they represent. Honor them. Listen to them. For you so honor their God. There's a beautiful picture in Luke chapter 2 where the old prophetess Anna, do you remember? She gets to hold the baby Jesus. And the story goes out of its way to say how old she was. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It was part of the power of that, that she had waited so long and God had never let her down. In her long and faithful service, she's a picture of the dignity of the aged saint whose hope is in Jesus. For most of us, that's how your discipleship with Jesus will close out. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the sobering, truth-telling of your scriptures this morning. Forgive us, we pray, for our arrogant self-reliance and conceit, for how easily we sweep along with the culture around us, in denial, in delusion. Help us instead to embrace this life path you've given us. And to come to terms with the life stage we're in and the life stage we're about to enter. And to do so, trusting you, our God, the God who carries us. In Jesus' name, amen.